Hello, and welcome to The Goldmine, where you can find new investment insights from your favorite financial writers every day. I'm Barry Ritholtz, and this is Living Through a Crash. So yesterday, Mike Batnick wrote a great post discussing how bear markets usually wipe out years worth of gains. Before anyone leaps to an unfounded conclusion, the title of this post refers to the 2002 crash, the dot-com implosion, not the current market. But given the rough start to the new year of trading, it might be worthwhile to delve a little bit deeper into various crash scenarios for those of you who haven't actually lived through the unwind of a bubble. Look, you could understand this intellectually, but truly grokking the forces at work, how people's psyches are affected during a crash, it's much harder than it looks. In fact, it's comparable to warfare. You can imagine what it's like, but only those who've lived through it truly understand the intensity and magnitude of the experience. Batnick used the Dow as his example, mostly because it's got such a long history, it's been around for well over a century. My frame of reference, it's the NASDAQ 100, the NDX, traded as the QQQs. NASDAQ was where all the action was in the 1990s. I won't bore you with war stories from that era. You know, being a trader or a strategist or a portfolio manager through that crash was a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. You couldn't help but learn something about psychology, risk management, human behavior, just so much more, so long as you weren't hiding under your desk, as so many people seem to have done. We've been through two other 30-plus percent crashes since that dot-com implosion. You had the great financial crisis in 08-09. You had the COVID 34% crash in 2020. But neither of those examples were truly stock market bubbles like the 1990s experience was. So here's what really stood out to me from those years, and maybe you can find a lesson or two. Starting with skill and experience. Good traders use a lot of different strategies to their advantage. They learned how to pyramid, adding successfully to positions as they rose in price. Some folks averaged down, but that turned out not to be a great strategy. But the bull market was so strong that even that could work. The challenge, there are strategies that paid off handsomely when you're in the midst of a market running up 5x over four years, but those strategies became less successful over the ensuing decade. Number two, capital is crucial. Successful, experienced traders were rewarded with greater capital lines, greater risk tolerances by their firms and their clients. They could hold positions longer. That's enormously beneficial in a bull market. In the days before full computerization, they could exceed their capital limits. At least they could get away with that intraday. You could even do it overnight as long as you unwound it pretty quickly. There were those proven moneymakers who got more ammunition to trade with. They had much longer leashes. And this worked wonderfully during the 1990s phase, but it led to very different results once the peak was behind us. Managing these kind of risks is what sets apart the very best trading shops like Citadel and Renaissance and Goldman Sachs from everyone else. Lots of other trading disasters were out there. Number three, leverage can be deadly. Some folks try to make up for a lack of capital by using leverage or stock options to magnify the results of their trading. That merely creates an enhanced two-sided bet, meaning more upside, but more downside also. 
That's a risk I suspect the newbie traders on Robinhood and Reddit, they may not fully understand it yet, but eventually they'll figure it out, sometimes painfully. Muscle memory persists. Investors conditioned to buy the dip take a long time to unlearn what has worked for more than a decade prior. The 1997 Asian financial crisis, hey, that was a great dip buying opportunity. The long-term capital management collapse in 98, another great dip buying opportunity. In fact, every dip led to robust recoveries and further gains. Those experiences made it very difficult to break that habit. One of the things that made the March 2000 peak to the October 02 low, what made it so pernicious was that the recoveries that followed every single drop subsequently failed. Starting in December 99, we saw subsequent drops of 15 15.5%, 10.7%, 31.6%, 21%, 14%, 27%, 27% again, 28%, 48.9%, 45%, and finally 50%. Each one of those moves led to a buyers jumping in to take advantage of those discounts, only to see the subsequent rally fail new lower lows occurred. And each time, there were fewer dip buyers. This is how we eventually work our way towards what technicians call a seller's exhaustion. Volatility is a two-way street. Risk and reward are two sides of the same coin. Very often, some of the biggest gainers with the most recent buyers, well, they give back more than the average. In the 1990s, the NASDAQ outperformed the S&P 500. That regularly beat the Dow Industrials. What happened during the crash? Well, the NDX fell, the NASDAQ 100, fell 82.9% peak to trough. The S&P was cut in half, 49%. The Dow only fell 38%. In the current cycle, we've seen a similar rotation into and out of the work-from-home stocks. As my friend JC likes to say, the bigger the top, the harder the drop. Regret minimization. I've told this story before, but when you're sitting on immense gains, especially if it's in your employer's public stock or the stock of your own startup, hey, sometimes taking a little something off the table can be a smart move. You still have lots of other stocks, so if the market continues to rally, you participate. But if it doesn't, at least you got something to show for it. And finally, other asset classes can lessen the pain. I have a vivid recollection of clients rolling out of equity to buy real estate. It was a popular mid to late 90s trade. Sell some stock, buy some real estate. Sometimes it was vacation properties or bigger homes or better commutes or just a nicer neighborhood. Hey, who amongst us doesn't want a lovely water view? Some rationalized the swap as stocks continued to rise as a fair exchange. But after the crash, they were delighted with that trade. Not everyone was so lucky. Some last observations. Look, I don't want to suggest the current weakness is the beginning of a crash. It's just a coincidence. The week I'm recording this, it happens to be pretty ugly. What motivated this conversation was Batnick's blog post. My best guess is the start of the year is the markets digesting the gains of the past two years and adjusting to the idea of three or four rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. Bull markets have a tendency to run much further and longer than even the most optimistic investors expect. It would not surprise me if we were still in the fifth or sixth inning of a secular bull market that continues for years. For more from me, check out The Big Picture at Ritholtz.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. 
Clients of Red Holtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast. If you're new to investing, check out liftoffinvest.com to get started with us today. Solid gold.